Annyeong Aseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists, discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Halley wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bulky and listen to your new favorite unis. I can't say, hey, everybody, today. I can just say, hey, Amy. Hey, Leah, what's missing from tonight's <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Someone who is very small, yet very loud. <laughs> small in stature, big in personality. Megan is not with us tonight because she is moving into a brand new home this week, and we are super excited for her. And so she is taking the night off so she can finish packing or maybe just finish binging whatever drama she's on while she's packing. (laughs) Yes, Megan, I'm calling you out because I bet you're watching some Vincenzo while you pack. And yeah, it's just Leah and I tonight. So it's cool. I really like Amy. It just feels a little bit like (laughs) empty in my headphones, but that's okay. Yeah, we're hoping that there won't be any awkward silences since Leah and I haven't been one-on-one in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not going to impact you listening, but you know, we normally record on Wednesday and today is a Thursday. And the reason why we are day late in recording is because Amy was all set to go last night, as was I, looking forward to it all day. I've started a new job. So this week has just been like that start new job week where, you know, your brain's kind of exploding. And, you know, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes before we get ready to record, I hear upstairs my husband and his voice that goes, Leah, which means something not good has happened. And I come upstairs full of trepidation to see my 80 pound Labrador in the living room with a box of cocoa powder, like pure, unadulterated, not like cut with milk, chocolate, sugar, anything, just pure dark, dark cocoa powder from Trader Joe's. She had plucked it from the pantry and decided apparently to live on the edge because there's nothing more dangerous on the chocolate spectrum for a dog to eat than the (laughs) pure unadulterated cocoa powder. And I don't know what she was doing. She was kind of huffing it like the chairman, but like, you know, (laughs) in Tail of the Nine-Tailed with the Chinese lantern. But it's hard to say. We were like, did she eat it? How much did she eat? It's kind of everywhere. I don't really know. So then my husband's like, look, this isn't good. I was like, yeah, this isn't good. So then I was like, well, I guess we're not podcasting. We still had like swim classes to get kids to and stuff. So basically I was like, I will take on the dog like management. And let me just like summarize quickly what happened. There is such a thing called pet poison control, which I did not know. So the emergency vet was like, call pet poison control, which I did. I spoke to a nice woman who basically did some calculations and was like, look, probably not going to be a thing. However, could be a thing. So let's have you induce some vomiting. And I am not great with vomiting on a good day, especially with dogs. Like I would rather be puked on by a human any day than a dog. My dog's vomit makes me, and I'm sorry, people are tuning into this show <laughs> oh to like relax. So basically, vomit, 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 <laughs> vomit, vomit, vomit is the theme of tonight. So anyway, she was like, get some peanut butter, put it in a bowl and mix it with three tablespoons of hydrogen peroxide. And I was like, okay. <laughs> And so I like told my husband what I was doing. I'm like outside mixing it up, being like, oh, yummy, yummy. And the dog's kind of like, I'm mildly interested in what's happening. I'm seeing the peanut butter. I'm not sure. And then my husband calls like, wait, wait, if you give it to her, she might just throw up right away. It can't happen in the house. I was like, yeah. 
no shit thank you though doctor <laughs> doctor husband because you know he's a phd know-it-all i'm like i'm outside clearly because like yes so my you're dog not gonna, you're not gonna mix it outside and then give it to her inside. yeah i was like no no i'm just doing it on the bed why and so <laughs> the dog gobbles it which i couldn't even believe just eats it all and then i'm like okay like what's gonna happen and then she starts like foaming because it's hydrogen peroxide so it's like foaming and i'm like well that's great and then i'm like i read like you should like shake her belly so i'm like shaking her belly and then like walking her and my neighbors are outside chatting and i'm like so i'm just here walking meadow and if you see her starting to violently vomit it's okay that's what we want and so that was great so after like 20 minutes i'm like nothing's happening and so i had to repeat the steps and I went back and did it again. And this time I'm like, Meta, what do I do? Because nothing was happening again. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're just now full of possibly poisonous chocolate powder and hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> and I don't know what to do because none of this seems good. It all seems like it should not be in you. So then I just death marched like her up the street. And I was like, we are not coming home until like something's ejected. And happily, like 45 minutes in, all of a sudden, just like Mount Vesuvius erupted. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and so anyway, sorry for that. Hope no one was eating. I should have given a spoiler. <laughs> Welcome to the pod. Well, here's what I think is funny and not like funny haha, but I guess a little bit is last week's little before the show anecdote was you, you talking about right. oh my God. Your, your bad luck coming in threes. And vomiting. Yes, and you vomited. <laughs> I'm so sorry to everyone listening. There is a lot more in my life that's not vomit. <laughs> not in the past two weeks. Though. Not in the past two weeks. There has been some vomit. So can I, let's see how many more times I can just say it for the show. Hopefully there's nothing. I don't think we have much vomiting to talk about. I don't think there is vomit in either of the dramas that we're talking about today, is there? All right. Well, before we get to it, here's a few friendly reminders. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review and tell us something you liked about the show. We're not just here to talk to ourselves, so want to make sure we're giving you content you enjoy. Also, please follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it onto the pod, book recs, behind-the-scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show or to get those handy tips on how to make your dog vomit, email us at afternoonadelightpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget we have merch. Pop over to our friends at redbubble.com and find our store by searching Pod. Did you watch Tale of the Nine-Tailed yet? You might want our Who Raised Gia mug. Or who doesn't need a throw pillow that says my other pillow is Kim Soo-hyun's lips? I do want that pillow. That's on my list. Right? Me too. Let's dive into today's show. This one is a little different because besides not having Megan, we're going to be discussing two dramas together, dramas that have a lot of similarities. We have scrappy working class girls. There's a poor little rich boy love interest played by Lee Min Ho, the best friends who are also poor little rich boys, love the heroine as well. Both are backdropped against wealthy private schools that seem to have no teachers and condone terrible bullying. Very rich and out-of-touch parents are against their poor little rich boys marrying or dating for love. Women are, for one thing, advancing the power of the chable. What are we talking about? That's right. Boys over flowers and heirs, or some call it the inheritors. Two very similar dramas that diverge in key ways around characterization for better and worse. 
Boys Over Flowers, originally based on manga, has had 50,001 remakes and like 50,001 more to come. Airs, written by one of our faves, Kim Moon-suk of Goblin and King the Eternal Monarch fame, clearly is seeking the same audience who can't get enough of rich kids gone wild and the fact that emotional boo-boos are quite enjoyable when paired with fabulous looks and extreme wealth. All right. So one of the reasons why we elected to do these two dramas with Megan being gone today was because these are two dramas that Megan hasn't seen. Amy, you and I both went down the rabbit hole of these two dramas in fairly quick succession to each other, I would say. Like they weren't back to back, but they were like, you know, within within a few months. Yeah. yeah. So something that has come up, I feel like whenever Boys Over Flowers gets talked about is the fact it's quite problematic. So we're not going to be like rehashing all of the things that get talked about quite a lot. We're trying to make this a little bit new. But I think something that I would like to talk with you today about is, do you think you can be a feminist and still like Boys Over Flowers? I mean, I consider myself a feminist and I enjoyed watching Boys Over Flowers. So to start out, you started watching this drama a few episodes before me. And the first thing that you said to me is, okay, it starts off in a very problematic way. But if you can just own the fact that it is problematic, there's also a lot to enjoy about it. And I agree with that 100% because I think one of the reasons why this drama is considered the classic that it is, is because it embodies so many of the K-drama tropes and cliches that we love and that have basically hooked us into watching nothing but, you know, Vicky and our Netflix dramas. So I think that you can recognize something as having issues, but I also think you can find something to enjoy there and not have to give up your feminist card. So I think like what you're trying to get at is the fact that liking problematic things doesn't necessarily make either of us like bad people. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that, you you know, when I hear somebody being like, you know, Boys Over Flowers is really problematic and has like a lot of aspects to the characterizations and the bullying and the violence and like the obsessive qualities. Yes, yes, they do. (laughs) And I like feel like I can acknowledge that and not feel like I'm not trying to like defend this, but I also feel like it's okay sometimes to just like own your liking and be like, you know what? Yes, there's problematic aspects and I accept that. And in like real life, I would say that all of these would be things that I'd be like actively working against. However, I don't know, like the fact that I'm coming from like a little bit more of a privileged perspective being like white and cishet, I feel like I can like acknowledge those aspects of like my privilege and liking it. And I also think that I I can be aware of what the problems are when I'm watching something. So I can be like, you know, there's a scene in Boys Over Flowers and I laugh because I think it's hot and I know it's bad. (laughs) And so it's the scene where there's the ice cream at the beginning and it falls onto the ground at the school. And we see Lee Min Ho basically turn to the heroine and be like, lick it. And I told Amy, like, you know, obviously it's awful. And I kind of felt like I could catch myself feeling embarrassed for like, like, as I was watching this, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I just told Amy, yeah, bite the bullet and go ahead and watch it. And yet, like, here he is being like, lick the ice cream off the ground. And when he says lick it, I was also like, ooh, and kind of hot. But I felt like for me, I was like, it's okay to have permission sometimes to like be in fantasy spaces. I would say that's actually feminist is the argument, I guess, that I'm also trying to make is to say that like, it's okay to have 
like a fantasy life where sometimes things don't match up to the real life. That's why it's fantasy life. And so no, in real life, I don't want some dude like pointing at some ice cream on the ground and being like, lick it. And I also feel like in some ways, if my 10 year old daughter was to watch that right now, like without having like a breadth of experience, I could see that being like potentially like a red flag. But I think coming for me right now, like where I'm at in life, and like the experience I bring up into this point that when I see something like that, I feel like I can be like, okay, I'm finding that a little bit sexy, knowing it's problematic and probably because it's problematic and that like being bad feels so good. But I also think that, you know, that doesn't make the problem just because I happen to like, like it and it's not bothering me and I'm acknowledging it's fantasy. I also think that like, I can see how other people are going to react really negatively towards that. And that's okay, too. I think that's part of it as well. It's just like being able to be like, yeah, I acknowledge that there's aspects to this that definitely are not what we would want to see in real life. But like, if I'm okay with it, like, I'm also okay with you being like, look, that's just not for me. That's really well put. And what I wanted to add to that, especially in that particular scene is, yes, you can say, oh my gosh, that's hot. Oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed that I think that's hot because it's super problematic. But then in the very next, you know, very next seconds after that, she kicks him in the face. Right? I think I'm pretty so. sure. She kicks him a few times. Yes. And I also I mean, get muddled up because I've seen Meteor Garden, which is the sea drama remake, because as we've said, there's many, many remakes. Yes. And so sometimes I get muddled up between Boys Over Flowers and Meteor Garden just because in that she also kicks him. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Because I've seen that episode too. And she also gives him like like a coupon to her parents' dry cleaning service as well. So she like, you know, he's a total dick, but she also serves it right back to him. And I think that is part of the draw of this drama is that even though, and we will get into it, even though the heroine is also problematic in her own ways, that when it comes to the bullying aspect of the drama is that she comes out on top even though everybody treats her like crap. And she kind of dishes some of the bullies their own medicine. And there is change in those people. So while we have these people who do horrible, horrible things in the beginning of the drama, they're not the same horrible, horrible people at the end. And so I think if there was no growth in these characters and we were like, yeah, that was an awesome drama, then that would make it even more problematic, I think, to like it. But the fact that we can see what's problematic, we can enjoy the parts that entertain us, And then also say at the end that some of these characters did have some growth. I think that makes it a little bit more acceptable. But yes, it is fantasy land. We would not want any of this in real life. Just like, you know, right now, Leah and I are both approaching the end of Flower of Evil. And we are thoroughly enjoying this drama. And it's got a shit ton of murdering going on. And that doesn't mean that in real life, we're like murder. Awesome. So I think what happens is, is when we put that lens to something that's a little bit more realistic than say like a serial killer drama, that some people tend to forget that it is fantasy and hopefully can recognize the fact that people who enjoy the drama don't necessarily approve of the actions of all the characters in that drama. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, we've celebrated a lot of like non-toxic, like Ryan Gold or like, you know, some non-toxic heroes, Young Sick, who we'll be talking about. I cannot wait. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. But when it comes to Jump Hyo in Boys Over Flowers, like he is a, especially at the beginning, like he's had so many emotional boo-boos. He's basically like a toxic quagmire of like hot mess. And 
yeah, again, I'm going to say and take the stand that it can be feminist as long as you are acknowledging like the problems. If like your argument for it is just in this fantasy space right now, I'm going to like it and I'm going to interact with it as a fantasy space and give myself that permission, then two thumbs up for me. Oh, and one other thing is, and I don't know, I think maybe I'm like making myself super not cool for the kids out here listening, but you know, pwn, like, you know, the expression, I felt like that's what I think about when I think about the heroine and Boys Over Flower is like when we're talking about like the fact like she gets the, John D gets the upper hand with Junpyo basically all the time. And she just, I felt like the whole drama is basically, she's just pwning him like the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Totally, totally. He gets pwned big time. But I don't think we say that anymore because it's not cool. (laughs) It's all right. We can be not cool and still be feminist. (laughs) (laughs) So why? Like, I think this is something we love together and Megan does not. So unfortunately, we don't have Megan here to be the naysayer, which is fun because we can just like take it and run. So why do we love the poor little rich boy trope? Because these dramas both lean so hard on that poor little rich boy trope. And I know people can accuse me of loving the poor little rich boy trope because both of the male leads in these are played by Lee Min Ho, but he is not the only poor little rich boy that I love in these dramas. I love all the poor little rich boys in these dramas. <laughs> same, I same. Do. Especially when we get to airs and we can talk about Cho Young Do. But I think it is because we love the emotional boo-boo, right? And the poor little rich boy is the boy that has everything in the world except love. And that's what the heroine is going to teach him about is how to give and accept love. Because like Leah was saying before about Jun Pyo in the beginning of Boys Over Flowers and how horrible he is. It's also because he's had like zero affection for so, so long. And it doesn't excuse his behavior, but it shows you what he has to learn from the heroine. In Airs, Kim Tan is a little bit, he's very boo-booed, but he's less of an asshole, I think is the, the best way to put it. He's actually a pretty good guy all the way through. But I think it is this idea of the emotional boo-boo because When you're in a realistic type drama and especially a high school type drama, you need something good for the conflict. And I think the best conflict you can find when you don't have something like fantasy or murder, as Leah and I are realizing, we just love some murder in our dramas lately. But when you don't have those sort of high concept conflicts going on, you need a really good emotional conflict. And I think that is where the poor little rich boy comes in is he just needs some love big time. And when we're looking at a romance, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. And so also like I did like a little bit of like looking up just to kind of see like what are some traits that like fit within kind of like that lonely rich kid or poor little rich boy type trope and a couple that get laid out that I think all kind of check out in these cases except for actually no I will say this checks out to me more in airs than in boys over flowers is one that the character usually has a shortage of close friends so that is something that I feel like in airs Kintan really doesn't have close friends he has friends at the school when he comes back and we can see when he's living his best life in america when the drama starts out you know he's with the worst actors of humanity <laughs> like his surf bro friend who like seriously just huffs a bag of like was it like bean powder bean powder, bean powder. yeah but yeah they weren't like real like meaningful friends but then jumpio does have his like his boys like f4 and so i feel like in some ways that like brought like an aspect that i think also has helped probably make the whole boys over flower juggernaut of remakes work as well is because you've got this like slew of poor little rich boys all like as like besties together and then usually there's some form of parental abandonment 
And so that checks out in both dramas and checks out in both dramas for the friends, I think, as well. So all the poor little rich boys basically have some form of parental abandonment or neglect or I don't know if I want to say like abuse, like in some cases, active abuse, like in heirs with Young Do's character. Yep. So, yeah. And then it can also be that the character can be highly intelligent as well, which is also helping to like isolate them because they're like quite smart in many ways. I don't know if I would say that gels super hard with either of these two. I mean, like they seem bright, but I wouldn't say that like Jumpio is like winning the genius awards here. No, in airs, I remember it was like a big joke that Young Do and Kim Tan were like in the bottom. Yeah, yeah. 50. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah a hundred out of that you know number one yeah, they were at the very the very bottom actually yeah. but and then to go not to talk too much about meteor garden but yeah in meteor garden domi sai who plays jump type character like the bad boy from boys over flowers he's actually incredibly smart and is seen as like you know a business genius who like you know made a million dollars in the stock market like you know, whatever. And so it fits in that. So I guess it kind of depends, like we can see in different remakes or different things with that trope. There's like some picking and choosing of like how much you're going to lie to like the trope conventions. Young Do and Ji Hoo, why did these second male leads slay? Neither of these dramas are a particular favorite of mine, although I did enjoy both. However, the second male leads from both of these dramas have like lived in my mind rent free for various reasons. So for me, Young Do played by Kim Woo Bin, I was so happy because we had watched Goblin, you know, we're newbie K-drama fans. And, you know, in Goblin, there was this like whole convention of Reaper trying to come up with his name and what he was going to call himself because he had no name. And so when he settled on Kim Woo Bin, that name just like peaked for me. And then like, you know, we looked him up to be like, what's he been in? And we were like, oh, like he's all right. Like, I don't know. Like he's not like, I was expecting more I candy type thing and it's one of these things and it just keeps happening lately where i feel like the minute i see some of these actors act they move from like oh they're okay to like holy crap they're like these magical unicorns and now every time i look at them i think they're beautiful but yeah he just brought such levels of like jealousy and pain and sadness and loneliness and like kind of played it in this way that just felt like really real like I mean obviously he was older than a high school boy cast that was clearly obvious like it felt a little 90210 and that like they're a bit older than they needed to be but it felt very much like this baby man I feel like you know I came into writing romance writing new adult which was this period you know where instead of having like these like full adult men we have this like period of like rapid emotional growth so I always would think about like new adult books is taking baby men to becoming like actualized men and I felt like in many ways this was the journey that Kim Woo Bin was on for the drama like started off as a selfish baby man and by the end is actually like has quite a selfless arc and oh god loved it and then just yeah really quick to touch on Ji Hoo from Boys Over Flowers despite the mullet of pain because like the <laughs> hair of Boys Over Flowers we're gonna get two more I mean like it was very distractingly horrible but his character I thought is interesting in that it's kind of like this I really liked how Ji Hoo's character played and if anyone has seen Meteor Garden, which I'm sorry, I guess tonight I'm just going to like drop Meteor Garden a bit too. I felt like Quazole, who plays his character, is sweet, but like 
not as complex whereas like Jihu felt like a much richer character and I felt like truly in the end I guess let's get into it later I felt like he really was like the match for the heroine but the heroine didn't deserve him because right. he was too pure like in the end I felt like everyone was an asshole except for him <laughs> exactly and I mean played so well by Kim Hyung Joon who Gosh, one of those actors who has a smile that can just tear my heart apart just seeing this guy smile. And when he smiled at the heroine, it was all over. Like you knew how much he was in love with her. And we'll talk a little bit later. But yeah, these second male leads. And now I'm thinking, you know, when we do our next second male lead SOS, we have to put these two guys in it. Because when I finished Airs, and I loved Airs maybe a little bit more than Leah did. And maybe it's my love of Lee Min Ho, but also now coupled with my love of Kim Woo Bin because the character of Choi Young-do just wrecked me. I loved this character so much. I'll keep blaming this character for this, but it is the reason that I watched Uncontrollably Fond with Bae Suzy and Kim Woo Bin and had my heart just stomped to smithereens. But yeah, it was one of those things, seeing him act just absolutely blew me away. And I'm so excited to see him in more as the years go on. But his emotional boo-boos, I think, were even more to me than Kim Tan's. Like Kim Tan, like he needed love, right? And he wasn't getting the love that he wanted from his father. And his mother was a mistress. And so she could never publicly be his mother. But he still had both his parents and they were there. You know what I mean? Like he lived with both his parents. His dad was a jerk, but... And his mom was basically like hidden away. Yes, totally <laughs> hidden away. But was a lovely woman who loved Kim Tan so much and would do anything for him. So he did have his mother's love, but he couldn't publicly acknowledge her, which was pretty painful. But then you have Kim Woo Bin's character, Young Do, who his mother disappeared and he didn't get to say goodbye to her. And his father is a horrible jerk who emotionally and physically abuses Young Do. So he had a very painful situation going on. And so, you know, you understand his sort of falling out with Kim Tan a little bit better as you get to know that character more. But yeah, I think it's just that these characters were very, very worthy of love and had such great growth throughout the dramas. But then, you know, like we talk about in our second male lead SOS, don't get the happily ever afters that they deserve. And so I think that makes us love them even more is because we want them to have that love. So yeah, these are just two of my absolute favorites. And I'm really kicking myself now that I didn't use one of these in our second male lead SOS, even though I love the character that I did choose in our second male lead SOS. But yeah, Kim Woo Bin and Kim Hyun Jung, two of my favorite second male leads to date. And yeah, I think that this just tells me that we need to do more SOS. And then one thing that we didn't touch on that I just don't want to forget because I do think that like, it's one of these things where like, look, I haven't gone back and read the mangas or watched like, you know, the Taiwanese, whatever. Like I haven't watched the 50,000 versions of- 50,001. 50,001, yeah. But, you know, in the two that I've watched, in both aspects, the Jihu character is described as being on the spectrum. But- always in problematic ways. And I'm never sure if it's like, I'm making this assumption that they're sharing it problematically in the drama. It could be that the translation's just making it seem problematic. Like in Meteor Garden, like with the Hwazo Lei character, it was like his first love interest led him out of the long dark of autism or something was like basically the translation. You're like, yeah, no, that's just nope. like not how we, yeah, it's just a no for me. But in Boys Over Flowers, it was kind of like, premise that you know because he was the sole survivor of this car accident that killed his parents when he was young and that he developed 
quote unquote autistic symptoms after the car accident, which again, just is not how like the spectrum no. works. And so it's one of those things where like, I'm just making the assumption because I've seen it now in two separate dramas that it was described very problematically, that it's not a lost in translation issue, but it could be. But I just wanted to say that in like both those cases, yeah, that like definitely hit me off. However, I will say that like, you know, Jihoo felt like doubly tragic for me because he also had like a love on the show who Seo Hyun, who was the beautiful girl that had like been with him, like, you know, from childhood and he'd always loved her. And basically she leaves him and he kind of transfers his affections to the heroine a bit too late, unfortunately, because the heroine had like liked him originally and then like switches her affections to Lee Min Ho's character. And so I felt doubly bad for him because like he... He loses out on like his big love two times where he had to take kind of like extra work to like emote and come to it because I don't know, like for me at one point they described him as having a four dimensional personality. And I actually thought that was an interesting way to describe him as well. But basically it took a lot for him to form attachments and to form connections. And so the fact that he like finally found the courage and way to make himself vulnerable two separate times and then couldn't seal the deal both times that felt like doubly cruel to me that he doesn't get any kind of hea it was rough and then you know he changes his whole career just to be by her side (laughs) which we will get into when we start talking about the heroine and why we both i know dislike the heroine before we go to a little break what about okay so lee min ho is the hero of both of these dramas however his hair is vastly different in both dramas so amy would you care to do some <laughs> comparing and contrasting to Lee Min Ho's hair in the two dramas? So in Boys Over Flowers, I'm going to like seriously date myself here, but in Boys Over Flowers, I can only think that they used the original Charlie's Angels TV series <laughs> as the go-to for how they wanted to do his hair because there was some major curling iron action happening here. It also makes me kind of feel like, okay, dating myself again too. So prom <laughs> prom for me in high school, prom for me in high school was the 90s. And back in my day, you just did your own hair. You didn't go and get your hair done, you know, and all that stuff. You just did your own hair. So it also makes me think of doing your own hair for prom back in the 90s where you put all the curls in it, but then don't brush them out or comb them out or like, you know, they're just the shape of the curling iron. Yeah. So that's, that's really what it was. So picture like a long mullet with a bunch of curls that are just the shape of a curling iron barrel. And I think what's confusing is we see him as a child with this hair. Yes. And it's a kid who's got the hair (laughs) curled like it's a curling iron. So I think we're supposed to believe that that's his natural hair. But then later we see him getting his hair styled by like his personal stylist with the curling iron. (laughs) Yes. So I don't, I really don't get it. It's just some super high maintenance hair for anybody. (laughs) Like it's just super, super, super extra. Correct. Yeah. There's a lot going on with that hair. And then in Airs, Kim Tan had a lovely little, I don't even know if I would call it a bowl cut because it's a little bit longer, but I loved his hair in Airs. It was a little lighter because, you know, he had that California sun kiss to it <laughs> because he did <laughs> he did spend a couple of years in California staying out of his young's way, not by choice. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I thought he was gorgeous in Airs. I think he's gorgeous in everything, but I laughed a lot at the hair in <sighs> So I'm going to say something controversial. Go for it. It's okay. 
as much as I think the hair is horrific in Boys Over Flowers, I actually had far more lust for, I don't know if it was John Pio. Like I just, and I was like talking about this with you yesterday and I'm aging myself into an age that I am actually not, which is, I'm going to use the word vim, <laughs> but I felt like he had <laughs> much more vim and vigor as John Pio. And I don't know why, like he just Agree. had like, Agree. so much more like, so even if there was like garbage toxicity like there was like a lot more passion to me in that character and so i don't know like if i had to choose like line up like kim tan and jump Pio against a wall i think i'm going for <laughs> I mean, god help me i'm just gonna go for it and go for the like curly mullet i guess i mean you would never find kim tan venting his emotions with a samurai sword <laughs> I mean, so, the whole that's thing passion. Is- that is passion. Yeah. So look, it is what it is. It's just, yeah. So, but it's not the hair that you love. It's the character. I think. I mean, there's something <laughs> about the hair. There's something. There's something about a guy who will go to that length for his hair, like having somebody else style it. But yeah, I don't no, know. No, it's, it's it's horrific. But I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just. Doug Jumpio better, I guess. Hair aside. That's all right. Well, now it is time for our favorite part of the episode, which is our K Rec of the Week. And today we have our K Merch Rec with Amy. And I'm here to tell you all about shop.allkpop.com. And it is a mix of K pop, K drama, and just K fandom merchandise that looks so super fun. They have everything from a Chimek chicken and beer fun canvas print to a Korea collage phone case that boasts our favorite words and phrases from our dramas and idols. Everything from Nuna to Chaebol to Whiting and to a finger heart tote. Basically, if it's K-pop or K-drama related, shop.allkpop.com has what you're looking for. And now I have a taste for chicken and beer. And because I haven't had dinner yet, I think I might have to order some. I wish I could, but I actually can't. All right. So why are rich parents the worst? That's all we had for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Who is worse for you? Do you think that it is Hisu, Jampyo's mom? Or is it Kim Nam Yoon, who is Kim Tan Papa? You know, they both do some pretty similar things. Like my first reaction was to say Junpyo's mom, because he does at least have his sister who sticks up for him to the mom who is like, why can't you just, you know, you already ruined my life. Why are you ruining his too? And we see her react to that in that, you know, he's the table. He's the head of the company. Like he has to live up to his name kind of thing. And so that made me really, really dislike her a lot. And I mean, she kept trying to get Jandy, you know, out of his life. But the same thing with Kim Tan's dad, like he kept trying to get Unsung out of his life as well. So they both did a lot of the same thing. But I feel like Kim Tan's dad, well, I mean, it's a flash forward at the end of air. So I'm not sure if he ever really does come around. But I, I like to believe that he does in that flash forward at the end of airs. Whereas at the end of Boys Over Flowers, like even when he has his horrible, terrible amnesia, his mom goes to visit him in the hospital, she shows very little to no affection for him at all. And yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to go- the very end, we're meant to- to pause it, I think at the very end that she has moved to a better place. Okay, wait. So just okay. First, answer the question because I'm cutting you off rudely, and then I need to draw on another very weird parallel. Okay, this is such a tough one, but I'm gonna go with the mom with Junpyo's mom. She just made my blood boil even more than Kim Tan's dad did, even though I think they're both pretty awful. Agreed. 
And so I think what is really interesting about Kim Nam Yoon, which was the dad and heirs, versus Kang Hee Su from Boys Over Flowers, is they both hid their spouses, but in very different ways. Oh my gosh, yes. So Kang Hee Su's, like, Jump Yo's dad is actually alive, we find out. But he but thinks he, he's dead. So he that thinks, makes her yeah. even worse. Yeah. yeah. So she's, yeah, he she thinks wins. His, he thinks his dad is dead. She's been hiding him with a coma, which is apparently another convention that's coming up quite a lot in K-drama lately. So she's hiding him so that no one knows, because apparently that would be like some sort of a, I guess, like a blight. Hassle takeover? Or yeah, or I don't like know. Some sort of hassle takeover of the company? Yeah. So she's like basically thrusting Jumpio forward while the dad's in this coma and Jumpio he thinks his dad is dead and later of course towards the end the dad does come to where we see the mom with her like weird happy ending sitting on a couch having never answered to any of her bad behavior with like her now awake husband watching tv which is as weird as it sounds however the difference is then we flash over to kim nam yun and lee min ho's character kim tan he knows his mom is alive but she's hidden from the world as his mother because she is his concubine so the dad has like lost his first wife he's remarried this very cold woman for his second wife and then he apparently got some action with like a lady in his office who he made his concubine who became the mother of his child but he like lavishes her with lots of wealth she gets the dubious benefit of sleeping next to his like crusty ass in bed most nights like that's supposed to be like you know show that like affection but like he is so crappy that like you know I think it's more of a punishment, but it is funny that they both like hide their spouses away from the world for various reasons. But yeah, when it comes to push comes to shove, I am going to go with Kong Hee Su too, just because I felt like both were very awful. Both tried to throw money at the problem to make it go away. The problem being just the working class, plucky young heroine. But in the end, Kong Hee Su is just worse. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of worse. <laughs> What was worse for you, the passive water bottle poor heroine or an emotionally manipulative poor heroine? And when I say water bottle, I think I'm not sure if this is a real term or a term I just made up. So if you know, let me know. I've used it for a long time, but I literally don't know if I just like made it up or it's like a thing. So when I say water bottle for me in description of a character, especially a heroine, it basically means that it is a character that you can kind of fill up with whatever you feel like you need to put into that character. So they're pretty bland. And I think like they're meant to be intentionally bland. So you can kind of just project kind of whatever you want to as like the viewer into that person. Like I would consider Bella Swan from Twilight, like a quintessential water bottle character. They're really not my fave. Like there's usually not a lot like actively wrong with them. They're a bit oh shucks. Usually they're a bit poor. They have a lot of ingenue type qualities of like innocence and like sweetness. They're usually not like super mean or anything like that. But I feel like, yeah, they're very bland so that like a huge swath of viewers or readers will like just go along for the ride with that character because really what we're interested in is like the hero. Yeah, that's a really great description. Like she doesn't have a ton of agency. She just kind of moves through the drama or the story kind of yeah. thing. That was definitely Park Shin Hai's character, Chao Sang, in Airs, but I didn't mind it because like you said, I was there for Lee Min Ho, Kim Woo Bin, and for Kang Han <laughs> <laughs> So 
I really, I didn't mind it so much. She didn't do anything that angered me, but she also didn't do anything that impressed me. Right. So that's, I guess that's your quintessential water bottle. Whereas Jan D, I hated her at the end of Boys Over Flowers. In the beginning of Boys Over Flowers, we both were like, yeah, a girl who stands up to the bully kind of thing. But she totally switches to this emotional manipulator. And I don't have any sort of sympathy for somebody who does that, especially when you do it to somebody as sweet as Ji Hoo, who basically lives his life for you by the end of the drama and you are going to go and marry Gujun Pio. So yeah. 100%. The passive water bottle doesn't bug me because there's other stuff to entertain me, whereas the emotionally manipulative poor heroine is the worst. Yeah. So I found Park Shin Hai's character again, like it was so bland. There was like not a lot to not like. It just like I didn't feel like Cha Eun Sang ever was like super interesting. She just felt like very much like a Cinderella E type character. There were two other female characters in the cast who had, I thought, I don't know why Vim is my word tonight but like they did have them though yeah they did they had more like chutzpah and one was kim ji Won, who played kim tan's fiance i mean she's just a like you know head bitch in charge all the time like in descendants she was like a total like ball bust like i love it she's just, i loved like, her i loved her in both yeah yeah she's got great energy she's got like a super prickly personality you know she does have a soft spot for kim tan and i think genuinely has feelings for him and is super like humiliated and threatened when he like ends up liking this like blandy water bottle character but you know i don't know at the end she gets to like make out with Kong Ha Nul, so winning for her. And then the other character who I really liked was actress Crystal Jung, who played Lee Bona. And she was hilarious. She was so, amazing. She was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So her first love was Kim Tan. And that was like her ex-boyfriend. But, you know, her heart has been healed. She's now in this like cutesy new relationship. And she's kind of like a mean girl at the school. But she has this like amazing heart of gold. I think that's another thing. I like the poor little rich boy trope. But I also love mean girl with a heart of gold. And I felt like she really had that. So as the drama went on, like she kind of reminded me of Blair from Gossip Girl too. Just, you know, like super bitchy and catty but then like when the chips are down like she can be like super loyal yeah so. i loved it she became such a great friend to unsung you know towards the latter part of the drama and she was yeah in the beginning i thought she was going to be super annoying because she seemed like super clingy and a little bit untrusting of her boyfriend but then the character grew and she was funny and bold and just a joy to watch so yeah even though we had a water bottle female lead we had some great secondary leads to sort of balance that out yeah and then i do think when it comes to boys over flowers like everyone's always focused on like jumpyo's character as being the abusive character and we've already gone through that so like i don't want to like get into like all of that again but i think that something that gets glossed over i just don't hear talked about enough in my opinion is what really threw me in the drama and that is jean d who's kind of just being seen as like she's meant to be like the plucky heroine who's like kicking the guy in the face and like winning the day but something throughout the show that like really struck me is that like as Jumpio's character begins to like grow and like develop some depth on yes granted like still much problem <laughs> um, <laughs> very much problem you know <laughs> yeah you know like man perm aside he's got a lot <laughs> of other he's got a lot of other problems part of it is that like he is developing genuine feelings for her and i'm not saying that to excuse his behavior i'm just saying he does and she and we're meant to see this as like 
some sign of like her strength is that she refuses to lean on him in any way. Even when his mom is like destroying her life and her family's life, she doesn't go to him for help or to like even share and give a heads up to what's happening. Instead, she's leaning on Ji-Hoo. And as Ji-Hoo begins to be like actively developing feelings for her, that's what starts to feel really messed up because basically we're told that here's a guy on the spectrum. He, you know, is developing an attachment to you. You are happy to go to him for all your emotional needs and fulfillment. However, your end game is this other guy that like you keep playing games with. And so I think I just really, really need John D today to be held accountable as a character for what like a toxic garbage fire she was. And I know we both agreed with it because as it kept going, we just became increasingly horrified that like we were supposed to be like celebrating like her plucky journey. And instead, I felt like she just became more and more and more problematic. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like she absolutely 100% manipulated Jihu. And I mean, he enabled it. I will say that he enabled it because he was in love with her. But in the same token, he did so because he thought that they were connecting. You know, like he thought that he had a chance with her. And when he does finally confess to her, she's like, oh, no, no, like, no, I, I don't feel that way about you. You're just my friend. And yeah, it just, and it was awful. Right. And then the very end, when we find out that like, here's the other thing that like just got me in this is like the whole drama, we see him like twiddling away on his violin and like music is his life. And he's just like violin man, like, like that's prodigy. Just, yeah. Like, that's his yeah. like path. And then at the very end, when we get this flash forward. We see that like Jean D has gone to medical school, having been mentored in one of her 10 bazillion side hustle jobs by Jihu's grandpa, who was the president of Korea. I still don't know. I still don't know. Was apparently the president of Korea, I believe, but then just became like a no-name neighborhood doctor. (laughs) And that was like fine. And so anyway, she worked in the clinic. He was her mentor. She ended up going to medical school. And then at the end, we see that like Jihoo is basically like still super just like following Jean D around, even though like she's like getting it with, you know, his best friend. And he's gone to medical school, too. It's just kind of like, well, I just want to like keep being with her. And I was like, well, that's not good. Like, he cut the cord. Like, why isn't he playing the violin somewhere? Right. When did he ever give any indication he wanted to do medicine as anything? I think that we're maybe supposed to see it as him reconnecting with his former president, Dr. Grandfather. (laughs) But that was never his interest. That was never his passion. Anything like that. Like he had a future in music and that's just done. As much as we loved, you know, Junpio's character and we're like, yeah, he's the hero. You know, she ends up with the hero or whatever. She was too much of an a-hole anyway to deserve Jihoo by then. So, yeah, I don't know. I hated her. <laughs> I really did. I thought I was going to love her in the beginning. And this is not anything to do with the actor. Kuhai Sun played the role as, you know, as she could with the story that she was given. But I hated the character and find nothing yeah. redeemable about her at the end. Yeah, by the end, I felt like it actually felt like it went too different. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I was going to say, like, it felt like it was going in. We saw, like, Lehman Ho's art going in this, like, way where, like, you know, he was making, like, good progress to becoming, like, an actualized person and not this, like, problematic garbage fire. Except then, of course, we introduced at the 11th hour the infamous amnesia. (laughs) And that just lit a garbage, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> when in doubt, like throw some amnesia in and you can like mess up a character arc really bad for a while. So And they did, right? Yeah, they did. And there was no amnesia arc in Airs, which Thank you. Thank you. Thank that you. actually was Kim a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a yeah, a big credit. And Meteor Garden actually handled it pretty well too, in that they had a nod to the amnesia, and then it just ended up being Domi Sai being like, haha, just kidding. Like I didn't have amnesia. We didn't have to like slog through like all of a sudden all these episodes that were just like a whole other story because he doesn't remember the love of his life. Yeah. I do have to say it. So far that the amnesia cliche is one of my least favorite. So I'm kind of okay without it, especially if it comes in at the 11th hour like that. If it's done well, I don't know. I I don't, I just, I'm not in love. I'm not in love either. And in this case, I really wasn't because I felt like we, it actually just like effed up the whole arc that was happening positive for Lee Min Ho's character to give them this enormous regression back to just being like horrid again. And then she just, I don't know. I don't feel like it did much to her arc as well, because at that point her arc was shot. (laughs) And like, she was just like a flaming garbage pile of like emotional abuse against Ji-Hu. And that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) All right. So you can see that we enjoyed this drama, but you know, we find the problems with it. Speaking of problems, what is up with the schools in these dramas? I think that they're positing that teachers don't need to exist and it's okay for like fun and games at lunchtime. If you're bored at a rich school, it can be watching like your classmate, like try to kill himself. (laughs) Pretty much. I think it was way worse in Boys Over Flowers at the Shinwa school because we never saw a teacher. We never saw any sort of intervention. I mean, like they lit Jandi's bike on fire. Yeah. Well, the you guy know, jumped off, tried to jump, literally did jump off the building in the first episode. And she caught him. <laughs> yeah. As- barehanded. Barehanded. Yeah. Just reached down one strong hand. The power of the working class. But I kept watching because Leah said, just get past the first episode. (laughs) Get past the first episode and then just like a Pandora's box of shit awaits you. But But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I will say at least in Jacob High School in Ayers slash Inheritors that at least you did see some teachers every now and then that there was some adult intervention, especially because it was Kim Tan's stepmother who was the chairwoman of the school. Whenever Kim Tan and Young Do got in trouble for fighting, which they did, and those were some awesome scenes, by the way, whenever they got in trouble for fighting, they would be hauled into her office. So at least we did mm-hmm. see a little bit of adult intervention, but not a whole lot. The other thing with the schools that's interesting was the nepotism, because, yes. you know, we have Jumpyo's family basically like owned the Shinwa school, like it was part of the conglomerate. <laughs> that it was. Yep. And happily, again, if I'm going to draw a parallel over to Meteor Garden, which at some point I'll have to do a compare and contrast between those two, that was not the case. It was a public university. And then, yeah, Kim Tan's, what, like, fake mom is the head of school for Jiguk. And just a total non sequitur. So in both situations, the heroine gets sent to the expensive school as some sort of like reward type thing, right? And at least in Boys Over Flowers, she didn't have to to like saw off an arm and a leg to pay for her uniform. But in Ayers, Kim Tan's father sends her to this school, but then she doesn't have enough money for the uniform. So she just goes to school... It was like $1,000, so she just goes to school in her regular clothes, and everybody else is in uniform. And I was like, wait, are you even allowed to do that at a school that's uniforms only? So I don't know. But that was very odd to me. 
Yeah, equity wasn't a part of that scholarship. It was like, <laughs> I'm going to get you almost all the way there and then your mom can spend all of your food money for the next like month on like your uniform that gets destroyed almost immediately due to bullying. So as we can see, there's an awful lot, like as we even talked it out, like that even opened up to me how many more parallels there were. So I really feel like my spidey sense is that Kim Eun-suk was highly aware. (laughs) Like I think that that's not even like a suspicion of Boys Over Flowers and probably was looking to cash in on like that trope with like bringing in like another high commercial drama that was going to like directly appeal to fans from that success because boys over flowers came out 2009 yeah and heirs inheritors came out in 2013 okay so we had boys over flowers coming out in 2009 and then inheritors coming out in 2013 so like you know a four-year gap but i think that it seems to me like it was self-aware of some of the mistakes made in boys over flowers and tried to do some corrective measures to like give us still kind of like all the drama and angst of like that poor little rich boy life but without like the lick it emotionally abusive like physical altercations between like the hero and heroine Absolutely. And that was my first reaction when I, because I like devoured airs really quickly. And then I texted you and I was like, okay, the best thing that I can say about airs is it's what I wanted Boys Over Flowers to be. So, exactly what you're saying is that I think Kim Moon Sook tried to course correct a lot of what went wrong in Boys Over Flowers. I mean, there's still some problematic stuff because it is it's the poor little rich boy, you know, scenario where they rarely ever get called out for anything that they do. But I do think we do see a lot more growth in the characters in Airs. You know, maybe we have a water bottle heroine, but at least she's not emotionally manipulating both the hero and the second male lead. Because I will say, even though Cho Young Do does fall for the heroine in Airs, she never once leads him on. And she's very honest with him. And tells him how she feels and that she likes Kim Tan and that she doesn't want to hurt him. And so I I really, really respected that. And so sorry, Jandy, you lose. (laughs) Yes, agreed. So if you had to choose one or the other, what are you going with? Airs, 100%. I think it's hard for me. I don't know. I mean, like Airs is definitely like less problematic. I think probably Airs for me, but honestly, just to like mess up and be an a-hole on my own question, I would say Meteor Garden over both. (laughs) (laughs) What you're not even talking about. Because I think what it is about Boys Over Flowers that I wanted to like, and I felt like I liked better in Meteor Garden than in Boys Over Flowers because of like how problematic Boys Over Flowers got is I love the F4, the band of brother friend group. Yes, and, I really did like that. And I felt like that, like my love for that F4 kind of like pack of guys where we could see them being like kind of like so cool at the school, but then like behind closed doors, like they all are kind of like a bit of goobers and like, you know, they've been buddies since kids and like broke each other's toys and have been through some shit together. And so I think my love for F4 is high and we don't have that as much like, yes, there's like friendships that exist in airs, but it's not that like that band of brothers pack. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's where we fell for Kim Bum was in Boys Over Flowers. So, you know, okay, we have baby Kim Bum. I know we're wrapping it up, but let's (laughs) do it. Do it. I know you need to do it. (laughs) Okay. So. Kim Bum, I felt like I was the most invested in Kim Bum's love story. I love it. I love the same like parallel arc that happened in Meteor Garden with that love story. However, what where Boys Over Flowers, where Kim Bum, I feel like really was just like, did his best with a poison pill of a scene. Is, <laughs> um, 
you know, he has kind of like this love interest with the heroine's bestie. And she realizes that like he has emotional boo-boos because he lost out on his chance at first love, basically by being a dumbass. And so he has much regret and bunged up his chance at being with his first love. And the bestie, of course, through coincidence, ends up like befriending the love interest. And she pieces together the story of like what went wrong. And so both in Meteor Garden and in Boys Over Flowers, we have this moment where like we find out she's gone to the rooftop of like basically every building in Seoul because something magical that's set to happen on a rooftop that we're not quite privy to as a viewer. And essentially what it is, is that as the sun rises, it hits at a certain time of the morning on a certain day in a way that makes a sign that you can see from the top of the skyscraper, some sort of a love confession. And it was the love that he lost out on. She wanted him to meet her on top of the building and he never yeah. showed up. Thanks. Yeah. So he always has this regret of what did I miss out on? And this new love interest basically is like, I'm going to find out what it is and like give you that moment. And so in Meteor Garden... It like appears and it's basically like, I love you, Hoazole, something like that. And he has this moment of like sadness and then turns to his like current love and is like this moment of gratitude and second chance. So rekindling, there's a really like sweet kiss and it's like happy they start off on their romance. Boys over flowers, basically it pops up like, I love you, whatever. <laughs> Kim Bum falls to his knees in this moment with like his hands ringing in the air like do over no like what's like i'm trying to think of like classic movies where they're just like oh no like if you can see my hands right now they're like above my head like shaking the fist to the heavens it was i mean i love you kim bum but it was much overacting <laughs> it was like, like so cringy to watch you like it took i Honestly, I think I love it because it's so bad, but it was like one of those things like mystery science theater. Worthy. You know, we were just like, what am I watching right now? They're basically like, okay, how you're going to play this is like your heart's getting ripped out of your chest. And this kid just did his best. Like, okay, I'm not quite sure what that feeling is. So I'm going to pretend really hard what that feeling is. <laughs> and that feeling's going to be like wrenching my clothes off on the roof of this balcony. So I love Kim Bum's character in Boys Over Flowers, but that scene had us both cringe laughing quite a bit. And I would be remiss if we finished this pod without me mentioning. So we have some terrible parents. We talk about the terrible parents of the poor little rich boys, but there is a character who's part of like the group of guys in heirs, Yoon Chan Young, who is at the school on a scholarship. So he is not a poor little rich boy. And he actually has a fantastic father. He's being raised by a single dad, Yoon Jae-ho, who is played wonderfully by Won Young Choi. And Lee and I both had the hots for her. For oh, one young joy, big time. Such a and hot dad. Such a hot dad. So just wanted to give a thumbs up to one parent on there. And also, I feel bad that we never mentioned really much our love, Kang Han Newell. I mean, his name got thrown out there once, but he was fantastic in this drama, as was Choi Jin Hyuk as Kim Won, who we first met in Mr. Queen, and then we went back and watched Airs, and we're like, oh my gosh, it's Bong Hwan <laughs> as emo young guy. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we love the poor little rich boy trope. We love the high school dramas, and Leah loves Lee Min Ho with his curling iron curled hair. <laughs> it's not the curling hair. I liked him having just like, he I felt like the leads and Airs <laughs> were both more passive than they needed to be. I getcha. I hear ya. 
but I'm still here for Kim Tan and Cho Young Do. So there you have it. So we are going to round this out with a book wreck. And since we are talking about high school, and I am always here with our young adult wrecks, I'm going to give a young adult recommendation that is taking place in high school with a rich boy, poor girl situation going on. And it is called The Distance Between Us by Casey West. 17-year-old Cayman Myers studies the rich like her own personal science experiment. And after years of observation, she's pretty sure they're only good for one thing, spending money on useless stuff like the porcelain dolls in her mother's shop. So when Xander Spence walks into the store to pick up a doll for his grandmother, it only takes one glance for Cayman to figure out he's oozing rich. Despite his charming ways and that he's one of the first people who actually gets her, she's smart enough to know his interest won't last. Because if there's one thing she's learned from her mother's warnings, it's that the rich have a short attention span. But Xander keeps coming around despite her best efforts to scare him off. And much to her dismay, she's beginning to enjoy his company. She knows her mom can't find out. She wouldn't approve. She'd much rather came and hang out with the local rocker who hasn't been raised by money. But just when Xander's attention and loyalty are about to convince Cayman that being rich isn't a character flaw, she finds out that money is a much bigger part of their relationship than she'd ever realized. And that Xander's not the only one she should have been worried about. So what I really like about this is it does have the rich boy, poor girl trope going on, but we do not have a water bottle heroine. We have a heroine with much agency. In fact, the story is told in her point of view. So she has almost all the agency in the book. And it's a great romance. Casey West writes tons of great young adult romances, and this is one of my faves. So I highly recommend The Distance Between Us. Sounds good. I'd like to check it out. So yeah, we're watching the same thing. So I guess we can touch on that briefly. Yeah, we're both pretty close to the end of Flower of Evil. And much like we've said about Lee Min Ho and Kim Woo Bin, I didn't know much about Lee Jun Gi other than Megan talking about him with Lawless Lawyer. And it was one of those things where I looked him up, saw a picture of him. I was like, yeah, he's fine. I mean, like I, you know, usually I'm, you know, not drooling over somebody before I see them in a drama anyway, but I, I was like, yeah, yeah, he's all good. And then I watched this drama and I'm three episodes away from finishing it. And I am all in on Lee Joo Gi and want to see him in so much else because I'm just, I'm loving his performance in this drama and can't wait to see how it's going to turn out. But yeah, he's tops on my list right now. Yeah, he's like hypnotic to watch. Absolutely. So a big fan, excited to finish it though. I feel like it's been kind of an emotionally exhausting drama and so I'm kind of really hoping that like when this ends I've been on like a run of like dark or serious dramas for some time now and I think I'm gonna do next something like maybe fight for my way I wanted to go something like hardcore lean into like some rom-com I want to watch Fight for My Way because we are gonna deep dive that but I also really want to watch Move to Heaven so I don't know yeah, see, I want to watch Move to Heaven too, but I think I need to do um, something lighter in between. Yeah. Yeah, I've been on like four or five, like either non romance or like dark romance, <laughs> and I just need some happy flowers. So, yeah. And then next week, very exciting. What are we going to be doing? When the camellias bloom oh. or when the camellia singular blooms. When the camellia blooms. Oh my gosh. We all loved this so very much, and I cannot wait to talk about it. 
I can't either. I'm so excited. And yeah, we hope that Megan is having a great time moving house. We hope that Neil, her husband, has not shed any blood either in the house they're moving from or the house they're going to because that does seem to be the norm of their houses. There was a lot of blood, right? There was a lot of blood while they were getting ready to put their house on the market. So yeah, I'm a little nervous. (laughs) And yeah, we'll be back next week with the full contingency. Is that the word? The full Full cohort. Full team getting... (laughs) Getting the band back together, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone on long enough. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you for hanging with us. And we will see you next time. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! <laughs> <laughs>